Oh, hey, Caitlin. Let's play a game. Two truths and a lie. You know that one, I'm sure. I do know how to play this because I was in seventh grade once. <laughs> okay. One, I'm divorced. I know that that's true. And I think you know that I know that that's true. <laughs> okay. Two, there was this one time that I met a guy in the south of France and had a magical meet cute that also involved a day of learning to farm oysters. I haven't heard that story before, but... I believe it's true because it does sound like something that would happen to you. Okay, three. I absolutely love going on dating apps, filling out profile questions, swiping my life away, hoping an algorithm will lead to lifelong companionship. That is the lie. You're right. That's definitely the lie. So you definitely know that I have dabbled in the dark arts of dating apps. You were the first one to um, ever introduce me to a dating app. It was when you came to visit me in Florida once and you ah. showed me one of yours and we like flipped through and I was like, whoa. Oh gosh. Do you even, do you remember which app it was? Tender. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> From Religion News Service, this is Saved by the City a podcast from two single Christian women with ambition and devotion living in New York City. I'm Roxy Stone. And I'm Caitlin Beatty. Here on Saved by the City, we explore all the ways that Heartland Christianity can flourish in the city. And we'll be talking with some of our fellow seekers, thinkers, preachers, and sinners who are navigating lives of faith in New York City. So I have this experience where, and I think this is probably true for a lot of people, where I kind of have an on-again, off-again relationship with dating apps. Same. I'll go through seasons where I feel like I need to be on them because I need to be putting myself out there and it feels mm -hmm. like I'm doing something. And then after a few months of being on one of the apps, I just get so sick and tired of scrolling or going on bad dates or not coming across anybody that I'm interested in. So I'll delete it. And then I'll start the cycle again six months later. I think one of the unique things about using dating apps as a Christian is that there are these questions in a lot of the dating app profiles that are prompts, like the religion part of the profile. Right. Because I am a Christian and definitely anybody I date is going to find that out pretty quickly, but I worry that if I put it in my profile off the bat, it could scare people away. Yeah. Do you drop hints? I have certainly just stated outright, you know, just to get the cards on the table, mm -hmm. I'm like a an anti-Trump <laughs> Christian. Yeah. Because that's honestly one of the associations with the word yep. that I don't want to be there because it's not true of of me. And I have a lot of problems with that connection. But then other times, I guess I will, you know, maybe I'll mention church mm -hmm. or something spiritual so that there's at least a hint there. And maybe someone looking for that could find it if they're looking for it. I kind of do the same. I mean, I, I, I've stated outright in the religion section of any dating apps that I'm Christian. But then I try it like in my other prompts, I try to maybe overthink it, but try to like say things that seem against the grain of what you would expect of a Christian, you know, mm -hmm. obviously I don't know if it's turned people off from clicking on my profile. I do remember one guy liking me and we were talking a little bit and then he must have Googled me and <laughs> realized at the time I was working for a Christian organization and he was like, oh, you're like really religious. And I was like, yeah, I mean, like, I 
care a lot of, you know, so I was like preparing myself for it. And he's like, oh, this won't work for me because I'm a scientist. <laughs> and that was it. Like that was the last thing he ever said to me. That's <laughs> his loss, to be honest. Exactly. But that is, that is like another weird element of the dating app experience, probably for both of us is that we also have these public profiles yeah. that are connected to our professional lives and our faith. You know, both of us are probably easily Googleable, And so yeah, this actually came up. I, I have no way of verifying this. It's just a hunch. But early 2020, I set out to be on the dating apps. Like I think I was on Hinge and wanted to put myself out there. And I came across a guy who I had actually met through a friend or through an acquaintance previously. And so that was like a natural connection. Mm. And we ended up meeting at a bar in Clinton Hill and had a great conversation. And like we talked for several hours and he asked for my number and like explicitly said that, you know, he wanted to meet up again. And I was excited about that possibility. And he had to have known that I am a Christian because I told him what I do for my day-to-day job, which is work for a Christian book publisher. I just figured he would like connect the dots. Right. And then like several days later, it was just such a, it was so strange. I was asking what he was doing for the weekend. And he just, after a bit of prodding on my part, said that he just didn't see things going anywhere. And it was a really weird 180 because he had given me all these signals several days beforehand that he was interested. And so I have no way of proving this, I, right. as I said. But like, I do wonder if he Googled me and was like, oh, shoot, she's <laughs> really into the Christian thing. She's serious. <laughs> and that's just too weird. Yeah. I think for me the use of dating apps started in my late 20s after a series of romantic disappointments and realizing in my late 20s that God wasn't going to just like present Mm -hmm. a husband. (laughs) I think I had believed that at a certain time and then realizing like, oh, I actually might have to do my part. Yeah. To put myself out there and meet people. Which in our day and age is dating apps. Exactly. It's it's using the technology and kind of the most natural avenue, the easiest avenue to explore that. Mm-hmm. So I I am on and off of the dating apps depending on my mood and season of life and I definitely resonate with the sense that sometimes I feel like I turn to them because I'm bored. And sometimes I turn to them because it's just kind of fun to get ready for a date. And like have a couple drinks with someone who's a good conversation partner and just let it be that. Right. Right. But it's definitely clear to me like dating apps are not from the world of fairy tales. But I feel like it's this game that I have to play. Like the odds might be stacked against me, but I still have to roll the dice. Hmm. I think that's pretty much how I feel too. And sometimes I get really tired of rolling the dice. And so I delete them off my phone for a while. Mm-hmm. You know, because they're also a lot of work. Oh, my gosh. So such a time suck. It's it's one of the reasons why I think I'm at a point now where if I go on the apps, I try to get to a date as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. there's a few things I try to look for in the back and forth of texting. Like, is he a good texter? Do we connect on anything? But mm-hmm. I'm not going to go weeks texting somebody 
and not mm. actually meet up with them, you know, because it's just there's just too much that you can't know by text that, you know, so quickly when you first meet. Yeah, it's really just like efficient use of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're busy. We professional busy. women. We don't have time to waste on bad texters. Absolutely not. <laughs> So dating apps are definitely here to stay, whether we like them or not. We found a guy, a great journalist and researcher, who actually challenged us to get off the apps and start meeting people in person. And the question is, if singles are spending 10 hours a day on dating apps, and that's what the research says, and that, and that doesn't even include... Do these the, people not work? Well, well, but this doesn't even include the actual dates. Oh, right, right. And we also put someone in the hot seat for this episode, Ben DeHart a priest at Calvary St. George's Episcopal Church in Gramercy Park. And by the way, he's single. Some people have been surprisingly okay with it, and other people it's like that that date begins, and they're like, well, I got a call from my mother, and I got to go. So, All coming up ahead. But first, a few kind words about our sponsor, Religion News Service. Religion News Service is an independent, award-winning source of global reporting on religion, spirituality, culture, and ethics. And yeah, full disclosure, I do work there. Check out the newsletters, the opinion pieces from all different perspectives and belief systems. From Simran Jeet Singh's Articles of Faith to Jonathan Merritt's column on faith and culture. From Omar Suleiman's Islam Beyond Phobia and Jana Reese's Flunking Statehood, there's something for everyone. For the best in global religion reporting, religionnews.com. And while you're in front of your computer, definitely contact us. We want to hear from you and your own faith stories, no matter where you live. You can shoot us an email at sbtcpodcast at religionnews.com. Or record your story and email that to us as well. Maybe we'll play it on the show. sbtcpodcast at religionnews.com. John Berger is an award-winning journalist and author of the 2015 book, Datanomics, How Dating Became a Lopsided Numbers Game, as well as the forthcoming book, Make Your Move, The New Science of Dating and Why Women Are in Charge. John's pretty much an expert on the dating market, the stock market, and the oil market. All the markets, basically. (laughs) He carefully guided us through the minefield that is the modern dating app world. John Berger, thank you so much for joining our podcast today to talk about the weird world of dating, especially from a research and data-oriented perspective. We're super grateful to to have you on today. I'm thrilled to be here. I've spent some time with both of your books on dating. Uh, Datanomics came out in 2015, and you have a new book coming out called Make Your Move, The New Science of Dating and Why Women Are in Charge. An <laughs> interesting proposition, which we will get to soon. One of the findings of your research is that you know, there is this numbers imbalance in terms of single college-educated women and college-educated men, there is actually this man deficit. (laughs) So talk to us a little bit about how this deficit affects dating patterns, maybe especially in a place like New York, where both Roxy and and I are based. So for the past, I don't know, 40 years, we've had 
increasingly more women than men graduate from college. And I think over the past 10 years, it's been about one third, about 33% more women than men attending college and graduating from college. And this spills over into the post-college dating pool, so to speak. Now, of course, this wouldn't matter if we were all more open-minded about whom we right. date and eventually marry. But the problem is, at the same time, the college enrollments have been skewing female. Mm. There's been an uptick in what academics like to call assortative mating, which is a, just a fancy way of saying college grads only want to date other college grads. And that's true. So when you say people are, are picky about who they date, that education plays a big part in that? Yeah, I do think it plays a big part, but I also think that pickiness isn't necessarily conscious. I think if you look at some of the trends in in demographic separation or or economic inequality, um, Mm -hmm. there's less mixing between college grads and non-grads than there might have been 50 years ago. It's hard to connect with somebody if you're never even rubbing elbows. Right. And it doesn't go both ways. I've heard that it doesn't. The numbers don't really bear that Mm. out. In fact, a college grad woman is more likely to be married to a lesser educated man than a college grad man is to you know, to be married to a lesser educated woman. So th- this notion that this is like women are too picky, I mean, it's not borne out by the data. I think everybody is picky to some extent, and there's no evidence that women are any more picky than men. But one thing I will, I, I think it's important to note, is that when educated men discriminate or won't, won't date lesser educated women, it doesn't affect their dating prospects right. just because mm-hmm. the the supply of college grad women is so large relative mm-hmm. to the number of men. It does affect women, though, because mm-hmm. educated women are limiting themselves to a too small pool of men. And it's not just a statistical problem that you know, the, the behavior changes when uh, right. women are in oversupply. You know, Roxy and I when we get together (laughs) and talk about our experiences in the world of dating in New York, we naturally talk about weird experiences we've had on dating apps. I would say, Roxy, correct me if I'm misspeaking for you, I would say our our experiences with the dating apps have been less than ideal. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's a good way to characterize it. (laughs) And in... In both of your books, but especially in in your forthcoming book, Make Your Move, you have less than positive things to say about dating apps. So why why is that? What have you found to be true about the culture of dating apps? And why do you generally kind of discourage emphasis on dating apps? There are a lot of reasons why I I don't think it's a good use or an efficient use of time. But I think most of my explanation boils down to the unnaturalness of the whole online dating experience. Human beings evolved as social animals. Um, We learn so much about each other just by being in each other's physical presence and body language cues. And I just don't believe that like a week uh, or two or three of cautious texting Mm -hmm. um, leading up to a first date is ever going to replicate actually knowing that person in real life before you go out on a first date with that person. You know, this is really borne out by the science, by the data. Uh, couples who meet at work or through friends or at church, they tend to have much lower breakup rates than mm-hmm. people, the couples who meet online. Mm-hmm. Now, now, of course, I'm not saying that every 
couple who meets online is doomed to to failure. I mean, I'm just saying it's harder. It's kind of harder to get from point A to point B um, mm-hmm. when you start out with an online first date. I think one of the one of the things that online dating sort of removes is that long period of ambiguity around a relationship. Like if you meet somebody at church or at work or whatever, there's that whole long period of like, does he like me? Does she like me? Are we just friends? Is this, what is this? What does this mean? Whereas when you're online dating, it's sort of like very clear what the idea, like you start out in a place of this is about romance or it's about nothing at all. But maybe that period of ambiguity is almost important. I think it's crucial. And and I, I don't even mm-hmm. think there has to be ambiguity involved. You may just know that person and it doesn't, you know, it's six months before you, you think to yourself, Hey, uh, you know, I, this person who's my neighbor, my, my colleague, uh, my classmate, I've always liked this person. I've always, um, mm-hmm. you know, I'm kind of attracted to them. You know, maybe this is somebody I'd like to go out on a date with. So I, I don't think it has to be like, Six months of ambiguity. I just think that that the mere act of getting to know somebody. I mean, one of the things that always amazes me about online dates, and maybe you guys have this experience or would talk about it, is how many people begin the whole process with all sorts of fact checking, mm-hmm. and then they have escape plans and safety plans yeah. involved with a first date. All of that is completely unavoidable. But but just think about how that mindset. Mm-hmm. Like if you enter into that first date with that kind of a mindset, that's not really conducive to falling in like or certainly in love because you, there, there's so much anxiety and so right. much uncertainty and you're spending so much time trying to poke holes in the story to make sure he's not lying or you're not lying. You know, there, there, there's mm-hmm. just there's just so much um, distrust. Yeah. No, that is interesting. I, I saw a weird just a rabbit hole t- Twitter thread a few days ago where the question that was posed was, who do you think is more nervous on a first date, men or women? And, you know, it was like the overwhelming responses were like, men were like, well, men are more nervous because we might just be getting taken for a free dinner. And then women were like, and we might get killed. Uh, Well, yeah, but but, but, yeah, so I um, I, 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 obviously, I just want to reiterate that I'm not um, saying that that all this fact checking and safety planning is unnecessary. And I I think, right, right. I I, I think it's completely necessary. But but there's because there's no way around it, right? um, Because you have to make sure that, you know, Robert, the handsome you know, doctor isn't actually Billy Bob the ex-con. Um, you know, there's always going to be this level of... I mean, unless you're into that. I, I mean, we don't want to judge <laughs> okay. anybody's preferences but, yeah, that, that, for ex-cons. But, 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 yeah. no, but, no, but but if that person has been lying to you and, yes. and he's not what he said he was, I, you mm-hmm. know, I, I think most... I, I would say most women I've talked about online dating have been lied to. Um, oh, yeah. And the question is, if singles are spending 10 hours a day on dating apps, and that's what the research says, and that, and that doesn't even include... Do these the, people not work? Well, well, but this doesn't even include the actual dates. Wow. Right, right. I just don't see this as a, an efficient use of your time, particularly mm-hmm. if the people in the real world who you already know and like and, mm-hmm. and, and, and maybe have wondered about dating. So one of the primary takeaways of your upcoming book, Make Your Move, is that, yes, the the man deficit and the gender imbalance could be really discouraging to a lot of women to see that the numbers are not necessarily in their favor or empowering. And yet, 
your book is really aimed at helping women, I think, claim some more agency and apply the can-do attitude that they have in so many other areas of their life to their dating lives and their relationships. And so tell us about generally kind of what prominent themes or pieces of advice you would offer to women who are feeling frustrated with the dating situation right now. An important theme of Make Your Move is encouraging women to make the first move with men. No matter what your mom or your hairdresser or your married friend um, or all those like play hard to get dating Bibles, like the rules, like no matter what these Mm -hmm. books have told you or led you to believe, there's really not so much evidence that men do live for the chase. And there's Mm -hmm. a ton of evidence that men actually like it when women make the first move. I'm thinking about the context of a lot of that. And I'm wondering, maybe because of the numbers imbalance, I think it often happens when maybe there is that level of ambiguity in a relationship and it's probably more about like the guy maybe isn't actually that into the person, but they're sort of leading them on or whatever. And then, and then the woman's like afraid to lose it. And so doesn't want well, to. Well, so, so I have a counterintuitive theory on this. Love it. <laughs> and, and I do think like, if you say to a guy, Hey, do you want to like um, go grab coffee sometime? That level mm-hmm. of ambiguity may not be great. You know, he might think that you're just looking for something casual. But there's something psychologists refer to as the beautiful mess effect, in which it basically is involves like the more vulnerability you display, the more honesty and empathy you get back. So, so the more you put yourself mm-hmm. out there, mm-hmm. the more he's willing to put himself out there too. And the less likely it is, he will take advantage of you. I think women are often afraid of overstepping because, again, the dating pool is smaller. And so that sense of like, maybe if I just keep staying at a casual level or just keep like waiting for him to make a move that I won't lose this situation. But it also, but it ends up drawing something out that was probably never going anywhere. I I think the opposite. Um, You know, one of my little mantras, which maybe you can we can argue about if you think I'm totally wrong, is that that men like women who like them. And every time Mm -hmm. I use this line on the lecture circuit, every man in the audience is nodding in unison. And the women are looking at me like I'm crazy. uh, Because, (laughs) you know, they've gotten all this advice from friends, Mm -hmm. hairdressers, and from these books, books like The Rules and Ignore the Guy, Get the Guy, and I mean, all of the the best-selling dating books over the past 40 years have been built around Mm. a kind of complicated concept of of playing hard to get. Right. Yeah. Uh, And the the message that these books, and that's not just the books, it's the culture, wants women to send to men, basically boils down to not so interested means keep trying. Let's talk about what this message means in the post Me Too era, right? Like, mm. what we, do we really want men to believe that not interested means keep trying? And, and I, don't right. th- I don't think mm. we do. You know, I think this is a good thing that men are realizing that it's very hard to know when it comes to playing hard to get who's playing a game mm-hmm. and who just wants to be left alone. <laughs> right, um, right. And as a result, I think it's created this this incredible opportunity for assertive women to make their move with guys who don't know how to anymore and are may not Mm -hmm. even be comfortable or equipped uh, to Mm -hmm. to do what their fathers did. So yeah, I mean, I I think 
specifically in kind of evangelical dating culture, you not only have the broad cultural narrative of you should wait for the man to initiate and you should kind of play hard to get and you should step back and let him take the first step. It's also overlaid with this whole framing of like spiritual leadership and like Mm -hmm. men should be the initiator because that's how God intended Mm -hmm. men to be or whatever. I found such a frustrating disconnect between what's expected of me as a woman in, in dating culture and what I feel free and equipped to do in all other areas of my life. And part of what I took from your book and your research, John, is you're wanting women to be free and empowered to take charge in a way in their dating life as they do naturally in every other area of their life. I I mean, I think that the... This is a massive understatement to say that the world is changing. And, and if, if women, if young women are taking the lead in, in education and politics and so many other aspects mm-hmm. of life, it doesn't make sense to say, oh, well, you have to take a back seat when it comes to dating. Mm-hmm. And I also think mm-hmm. you got to think about it from the flip side. If, if men are more comfortable and more used to having female bosses or being on a on maybe a uh, the board of a religious community in which the the chairperson of the board is the and the vice chair is a woman. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's it may not be natural for him just to say, oh well, suddenly when it comes to dating, you know, I have to be John Wayne or something. Like it's not it, it's not mm-hmm. a it's not natural for a young guy to just kind of flip the switch like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for joining us today, John. It was a really interesting and illuminating and even hopeful conversation. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad. It was so. really fun. You know how that guy met his wife? I don't. Did you actually ask him how John met his wife? I did. He said they met in college. He never how had to quaint. sit around an empty apartment trying to find a date in the year of the pandemic. That's so sweet. I'm so glad for him. <laughs> we'll be back in a second with someone who is a little more in the weeds right here with us. So surely this can't just be a horrible doom scroll of an episode about modern dating apps. Certainly there are at least a few heartwarming success stories out there. There are. We put out a call on the internets to hear from our listeners about any app-based romances that are alive and kicking. And here's what we got. Take Dorothy. She says, my husband and I met on Hinge, married in March 2020 in the pandemic. Our original wedding was canceled, but our pastor met us in the park and married us. Crazy love story, but best love story, especially for a 37 and 39-year-old who had hilarious and awful online dating histories. I would like to have this story from Hinge because that is not my Hinge experience. But (laughs) way to go, Dorothy, getting married in the middle of a pandemic. Oh, amazing. And at an age kind of close to mine so and close to mine too yes (laughs) steven met his wife on bubble in 2018 and it actually turned out they were from the same hometown and they got married last year and now they're expecting a baby girl adorbs or take the story of micah he says my wife slid into my dms and said hey we should exchange mac and cheese recipes sometime (laughs) 
Classic Which, pickup line. I mean, is there a better pickup line? And he says, she wasn't my wife then, and now we're married, and it was okay, Cupid. I really like that one. I do, too. I mean, I'm going to get out some recipes, take them <laughs> off a little. We just, we just, I can woo. Yeah, Roxy, you and I need to become, like, comfort food chefs to woo men, apparently. Wait, what year is this? 1850? We're trying to woo the men with our food? Hey. <laughs> <Our> cooking? <laughs> hey, I'm not above it. Especially if it involves mac and cheese. True. True, true. All right. Alicia met her husband on eHarmony. She said she was post-college ex-missionary seeking marriage and had never dated, even though she tried and wanted to. She wanted to feel pursued, but she said she was also tired of the games and didn't feel like there was any pool to fish in, if you know what I mean. Um, oh, she thought, girl. I know what <laughs> you mean. We do know what you mean. Where is my pool? <laughs> Where is my pool full of fish? She said she actually thought online dating might be more intentional. And it was for her. I've never mm. heard that before. That's very interesting. Mm-hmm. And then she said she met her husband, Nani Harmony, and now they're married. And she said she can't recommend online dating more. I don't know. Crazy. Yeah, it was really interesting to hear these stories that we collected. Because even though you and I have had less than ideal experiences on the dating apps. And even though John Berger, just from his research has found that in-person connection, you know, through friends or through shared interests tends to be more successful. I think it's helpful to remember that for a lot of people, online dating has actually worked. Yeah. It worked not only in terms of finding like some fun dates, but has actually led to long-term companionship and marriage and so it's It's gotta be better than mail order brides right (laughs) remember those i mean that's an extremely low bar but yes (laughs) definitely how Um, many christian books did you read as a kid though that were like the mail order bride romances oh my gosh none i don't (laughs) even know what you're talking about they totally existed we have to do an episode about Christian romance novels centered on the saga of mail order brides. There was always a conversion. One or the other of them wasn't a Christian at the beginning, but well, then, of course, the of end, course, they were. <laughs> missionary dating. Comes Which up all the time it's, on it's the hottest story out there. But yeah, I, I, in some ways, I feel kind of jealous of Alicia and Micah mm-hmm. and Stephen and Dorothy because it worked for them. But I also think in some ways their stories give me hope that you could actually end up meeting a great person on the internet, even despite all the complications. All right. You're going to put the ass back on your phone? Well, not anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is all very nice, but it got me thinking. We know what it's like to be us, and we've heard a bit about the general state of affairs out there, but what if you're a clergy person? Okay, are you saying that it's time for Hot Priest? Hot Priest! It's a title that's been under dispute, but yes. Hot Priest! I am so excited to dig in. Well, this week we thought it was really important to get a different 
perspective and even a male perspective on the experience of dating in a place like New York as single professional Christian people. And we're super jazzed to have Ben DeHart uh, joining us for the hot seat this week. So thanks so much for being here, Ben. Glad to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. So we have labeled this segment the hot priest seat. And first, we just want to know how comfortable you are with that and if you actually think of yourself as a hot priest and, like, go by that phrase. I do not think of myself that way. (laughs) I've never had that, though. Yes, uh, I think Roxy and I had a conversation at the Super Bowl party at my church. That's right. And she heard one thing, and I thought I said another thing. I thought I was saying, in light of the second season of Fleabag, it yes. is so hot to be a priest right now. <laughs> oh. But what did you hear, Roxy? I think you heard something else. I remember that differently. I remember that as you saying something about how, because of the second season of Fleabag, that hot priests are really in right now. <laughs> and and so you them. chose the right profession. <laughs> I guess so. Well, you know, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. Probably. Well, we're glad you joined us as um, a self-described hot priest or not. (laughs) Don't fire me, Jake. (laughs) Yes. It's good for our listeners to remember that as an actual priest, Ben submits to structures of authority and accountability. So on that note, Ben, do you identify as a priest when you're dating specifically on dating apps? Is that something that you try to lead with and make sure is out there up front or is that, I mean, eventually it's probably going to come up at some point, but is that something that you actually put in your dating profiles? And so I've done both. I've, uh, <laughs> my best friend from high school who is very much not a Christian, but we've been best friends uh, since he, he tells me, don't say that at all. Just put something like a, you were for a nonprofit and then wait till like the third day to drop <laughs> that. Cause that's a lot to drop. And uh, so I, I didn't used to do that. And then for a period of time, I, I did do that. I always felt like I was being like kind of kind of lying, even though I either wasn't telling the truth or it was maybe a mm-hmm. half truth. But for most of my time in New York City on dating apps and the like, I more recently I've led with the picture of the flea bag priest and then a picture of me wearing <laughs> okay. you know, the uniform See, right underneath. You are embracing okay. it. That's You're all embracing we needed it. to hear. But That's the best part is that it's never a Christian who reaches out. It's always mm-hmm. like I'd say like problematic women reaching out and it's just mm-hmm. saying, This is incredible. Are you real? <laughs> no way. So are they are they looking for a, a confessional? <laughs> or are they? <laughs> a, I mean, yeah. I mean, maybe I should uh, pursue those a little bit more. There have been a few that I'm like, I'm just going to play along. And only once have I really met up with someone mm-hmm. because of that. And then, yeah, it just became, it was kind of boring because I became like a museum piece. And who wants to be that? Right. So you felt a little objectified. Totally objectified. Or kind of like treated as like, uh, I don't know, an ideal. And yeah. I don't think anybody really wants to be encountered in that way when it comes to actual relationships. Definitely. Definitely not. When you haven't put on your profile that you're a priest and then eventually it comes up, like what, how does that conversation go? What's the kind of reaction that you've gotten? 
Well, because of the powers of the internet, people usually find out before I tell them, when I do it that way. I should probably say there are three ways. And then the third way is I'll say that I'm a minister at this church, but having nothing in the profile with me in the uniform. But yeah, mm-hmm. when I haven't said anything at all, some people have been surprisingly okay with it. And other people, it's like that, that date begins and they're like, well, I got a call from my mother and I got to go. So. <laughs> mm. so what are like some typical questions that, that people women ask, ask you once Ooh. they find out you're a priest? Yeah, I mean, some form of, so what is your life like? I mean, I guess, yeah, some are just really honest questions of like, what? why did you choose to that path? <laughs> I've definitely had somebody say, I, I didn't even know that young people do that anymore, <laughs> which I thought was pretty funny. Yeah, it's really hard not to be either, as you said, like kind of objectified or for people to be more curious about your day-to-day than they are you. Or mm. Yeah, it's kind of like the way maybe when you see a nun on the subway and you're just like, that is so fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I experience that. Do you encounter confusion in people thinking that as a priest, you can't <laughs> date or get married? Like they think all priests are Catholic and they're missing the Anglican Episcopal, I guess, Orthodox priest allowance that you can, in fact, get married? That is another common question. Like, so are you, are you allowed to be doing this? In fact, on the dating apps, on, on occasion, <laughs> the ones where I have me in the collar, I've had people say, like, good for you, fighting against the system <laughs> or, or, or creating change. That's always pretty funny. Yeah. I tend to be one of those people who has the app, deletes it, has it, deletes it. I don't know if mm-hmm. that's your experience at all. Same. We have talked a lot about on this episode just the complexities of trying to date in a place like New York and how do you meet people? And it feels like apps is an easy place mm-hmm. to go, but then they can be awful and really discouraging. And I have seasons where I'm like committed to making it work. And then I have other seasons where I cannot, I cannot handle <laughs> the apps. So yeah. Definitely. But I feel like we've unlocked Pandora's box. Like there's no going back. More people who I'm marrying now than, than not meet online and sometimes on those sites that you think are just hookup apps. Um, so when someone tells me they met on Tinder, I don't immediately think like, wow, this is going nowhere. Mm-hmm. I've married enough people there. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> You've yeah. married people who met on Tinder? Oh, yeah. Actually, in fact, I think that ends up being probably the number one one people talk about when I, really? we do, when I do premarital counseling. When me and all my knowledge of what it's like to be married does premarital counseling. <laughs> That is so fascinating. I would have thought that it would have been like Eat Harmony, which is very overtly oriented mm-hmm. around long-term relationships or just another app that has like a less skeezy, I guess is the word, subtext, like Bumble or OkCupid or something. Right. That's so I wonder fascinating. if sometimes people feel like they can let their hair down a little bit. Um, I mean, I have married people who've met on eHarmony, Hinge as well. But for some of these folks who meet on Tinder and get married, I think they felt kind of a lot of pressure on some of these other apps. For those people that you're marrying, are they usually both Christians or is it a mix? Not really. I mean, some, sometimes they are. Sometimes they kind of grew up Christian and 
sometimes they just they just want to get married in a pretty church or right um, mm. yeah new york has been very unique in the dating and marriage front for me, someone coming from New Jersey or I lived in Pittsburgh for 10 years, which tends to be much more, I guess, culturally conservative. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When I first came out here, when everyone was kind of already living together and talking openly about sex and their sex- sexual partners, I, at first I was very like, wow, <laughs> this is kind of wild. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now, yeah, maybe I'm just kind of immune to it. And what about you? Do you will you date non Christians? I've gone on dates with non Christians. I know I want to be with a Christian. I think my evangelical upbringing is very still much. It's unconsciously with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, even apart from like a Bible passage about unequally yoked, and for mm-hmm. Christians, the Bible does you know what it says matters. But also just more practically thinking about how you make big decisions and how you orient your time. Yeah. and your spending habits and your relationships, it's on some level hard to imagine doing that with someone on a totally different page in terms of their faith and belief. So totally, in some ways it just feels like pragmatically that's what works. Yeah, and for me so much is like of connecting with someone is through conversation or what I think is cool, even if they don't. Like we can talk about it. I don't know how I would be able to just shut down that, part of my life that is so important to me. If you had, you know, people coming to your office or to the rectory, like young single Christians in the city asking for dating advice, everything from, (laughs) should I be on the dating apps? Should I only date other Christians? All of the things that we've talked about, what kind of advice would you, would you give them? I think I would be completely honest and just say, I have no idea. For my own life, I would prefer to meet someone off the apps, but that just seems to be kind of the way now, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's easy to, like, become a moralist and be like, be true to who you are, be true to your faith, and those things are true. Take care of yourself, stay connected with the Christ, see a therapist, because if you're healthy, the relationship, I think, will be healthier. I think a lot of us, especially coming from kind of broken ex-purity culture backgrounds are pretty unhealthy getting into relationships or going online, have unrealistic expectations of what a boyfriend or girlfriend can offer or a spouse or a partner. And I think that that's been part of the casualty of that movement of elevating marriage or the sex act to this like to the nth degree that we have these unrealistic expectations on what a partner can offer us mm-hmm. you're going to need other friends <laughs> I, I mean I'm, I'm probably just projecting here i think i i inhabited all of this garbage about what a spouse is going to offer me and i would offer a spouse though it really was about what the spouse would offer me And I think I've really had to jettison a lot of that, go to therapy for a lot of that, get healthy about that. And I think that's been the best thing for me Mm. in navigating how to date well or at least better. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if I'd say all that, but something along those lines. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it sounds like you would take an approach less of here's what you here's the list of things you do and don't do, but more, this is what I've learned fumbling 
in my own experience, this is what I have found to be helpful yeah. for through me. heartbreaks, through unfortunately hurting other people, which sometimes can be just as bad. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just there it is, stumbling through it. Mm-hmm. But God loves stumblers, so praise God. Indeed. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us. It was such a good conversation. Thanks so much. So fun. I love, love, love that he was all in on the hot priest business. Yeah, and it was also super interesting that Ben initially acted like he didn't know what he was doing. So we will definitely be chatting with Reverend Ben again soon. Hot Priest! We want you to get in touch with us about your own modern dating stories or other stories about faith in the modern world. You can tweet to the hashtag SavesByTheCity. We will get it and reply. We want to hear from you. What should we talk about? Who should we talk to? Or you can email us at sbtcpodcast at religionnews.com. Send us your stories, record it, and email us at sbtcpodcast at religionnews.com. Saved by the City is a Religion News Service production. The executive producer is Jay Woodward, and the consulting producer is Paul O'Donnell. Chaz Rousseau put together our look, and Martin Fowler wrote our theme music. We are Caitlin Beatty. Roxy Stone. Thanks Thanks for for listening. listening.